Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this may be a bit of a shorter one, so my apologies on that. But I'll tell you what, I've got a couple of stories and a couple of follow-ups from the last episode. Got a couple of education-related things, too, and one follow-up also from the last episode regarding the jabs. But I'll tell you what, I want to start with this because this was making the rounds the other day regarding this letter that was written by uh, a veteran. And it basically has 231 individuals who have signed this letter. And essentially, it's calling out the current military for harming individuals, specifically related to the shots, and then attempting to, again, hold them accountable for what they've done to our own military. Not to black pill on this, uh, because I will read the whole letter, but I'm not sure anything's going to come from this. I think it will be very interesting to see what does happen in the future again regarding the military and the whole shot rollout, along with numerous other entities, of course. And ironically enough, again, this stretches right back into the very last thing that I'm going to bring up here. Uh, for this particular episode, because again, the excuses that are taking place right now regarding the shots are overwhelming. And the rats are trying to flee the sinking ship, I think. And at the exact same time, they're trying to find an escape route. And unfortunately, I think that for many of the jabbed individuals and even the individuals who again gave the jabs out, whether they be pharmacists or doctors or nurses or whatever, hospital conglomerates, you name it. I think one of the excuses that they're going to end up falling on and attempting to use to their advantage is, again, the manufacturing aspect of it. That, you know, these were created in a lab and they were created in a giant factory and, you know, the factory was not sterile and, uh, you know, certain regulations weren't met and certain safety procedures weren't met regarding, again, the actual bottling of the poison. And that's really a misdirection like nobody's business. That is not the problem here. The problem is, is that this was purposeful, that it was created, and it's not what's around the vial on the outside of the juice that matters. I don't care if there's cockroaches running around on the floor when, when, when the poison juice was put into the vials. That doesn't matter. And again, somebody like Ryan Cole would try to lead people to believe that even the temperature aspect of all of this matters. That if it's kept at a particular temperature, then it doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that either. I really don't. Poison is poison any way you slice it. It does not matter its temperature. It does not matter anything anything else. It, it just doesn't. All, all of that is a giant misdirection, I think. But what's interesting about this particular open letter here to the American people uh, from, well, specifically regarding, I should say, it's titled The Declaration of Military Accountability, is that, again, I'm not sure anything's going to happen regarding this, but it really does bring into account the history of the Second Amendment why it was created, and uh, and I, again, I have no doubt, of course, that our military has been weaponized against us, certainly to some extent, but I think this also proves another point which is interesting, and I think this is something that I've certainly mentioned on the show in the past, in fact, I, I know I have, is that this has more to do, I think, with 
making people aware, and this is a good thing, making people aware that there are endless individuals in the military and even not in the military, former military, who are paying attention to everything that is going on and they're organizing. That's a big deal. And I think that that matters. You've heard me say that, you know, any military going forward cannot and, and should no longer comply, nor force, nor mandate, whatever terms you want to use, any kind of a shot rollout of any kind for any reason whatsoever. They shouldn't be pumping these individuals with any kind of poison going forward. Not if we want a strong military anyway. Doesn't matter where they're traveling. There's not a single shot that any of them take that prevents against anything. This is a fact. But given the fact that many individuals in the military left the military because they didn't want to take these shots, there has to be some kind of a catch basin for those individuals. Our government has to know who those people are and where they are. And hopefully, those individuals are communicating with one another. So if there's a military going forward that is healthy, I think it has to be those individuals. Of course, here in our country, thank God, we are the military. The people are the military. We are the armed citizenry that, again, the Founding Fathers had in mind. This is, this is the whole point. It was for moments like this, when the military would be doing things that would actually be contributing to the depopulation of not just our own military, but our own country, and going along with it willfully. That's why this is, of course, as you know, a massive national security problem. This is enormous. Again, people are being completely violated in airports by TSA, but illegals are making their way here for free, getting paid to do so, and they aren't receiving any of the kind of treatment that we as citizens or even the military are receiving. So the hypocrisy knows no bounds here, but let me get into this letter, and I'll just read the brief introduction here. This is from Brad Miller on X, at Brad Miller 1010 It says, at 4 a.m. Eastern today, a few minutes ago, and this would have been on the 1st of January, it says, senior military leaders received an email with a letter attached called the Declaration of Military Accountability. I know because I sent the email. I sent it on behalf of myself and 230 other signatories of the letter. The letter is not addressed to the military leaders, but rather to the American people. The email was merely to inform these military leaders that there is a group of troops and vets pledging to the American public that we will do everything lawful within our power to stop the willful destruction of our military by its own leadership. Let's take this country back in 2024 and let's begin by defending our military from its own leadership. You can find the body of the letter below. Soon we'll have it on a website where you can find it as well, along with the names of the 231 signatories. Okay, let me read this here. It's lengthy, so bear with me. But again, you know, I understand the frustration without a doubt. Uh, you know, it, they're frustrated, rightfully so. Good for them. Frustration is, I, I think, putting it mildly. Many individuals, of course, have been killed by these particular shots, certainly within the military, and that's not good. 
Um, my hope, of course, is that again, there is a catch basin, so to speak, of the individuals who left the military and that they can uh, continue to communicate and organize, hopefully, because I have a feeling we're going to need them going forward because something's got to give here. Uh, so here's what it says. It says, quote, an open letter to the American people from signatories of this Declaration of Military Accountability. That has a quote from John Adams. It says, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So here we go. It says, quote, In the course of human events, it sometimes becomes necessary to admonish the lawless, encourage the faint-hearted, and strengthen the weak. We have reached such a time in our history. The affairs of our nation are now steeped in avaricious corruption, and our once stalwart institutions, including the Department of Defense, are failing to fulfill the moral obligations upon which they were founded, standing upon our natu natural and constitutional rights. We hereby apprise the American people that we have exhausted all internal efforts to rectify recent criminal activity within the armed forces. In the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers sought separation. We seek no separation, but through this letter and the efforts we pledge herein, we pursue restoration through accountability. We intend to rebuild trust and restore the rule of law, particularly within the armed forces. Ultimately, we strive to once again become a moral people, restoring our nation and making it again worthy of the great gift of liberty won by the colonial era American people. While implementing the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, military leaders broke the law, trampled constitutional rights, denied informed consent, permitted unwilling medical experimentation, and, and suppressed the free exercise of religion. Service members and families were significantly harmed by these actions. Their suffering continues to be felt financially, emotionally, and physically. Some service members beca became part of our ever-growing veteran homeless population some developing debilitating vaccine injuries, and some even lost their lives. In an apparent attempt to avoid accountability, military leaders are continuing to ignore our communications regarding these injuries and the laws that were broken. For General Milley, Admiral Grady, General McConville, uh, let's see, Admiral Gilday, Admiral Lesher, General Brown, General Berger, General Smith, and then a bunch of other individuals. My apologies on the names here. I'll just keep going. It says, these individuals ena enabled lawless and unwilling experimentation on service members. The moral and physical injuries they helped inflict are significant. They betrayed the trust of service members and the American people. Their actions caused irreparable harm to the armed forces and the institutions for which we have fought and bled. These leaders refuse to resign or take any other action to hold themselves accountable, nor have they attempted to repair the harm their policies and actions have caused. Since there has yet to be any accountability, the undersigned give our word to do everything morally permissible and legally possible to hold our own leadership accountable. We intend to rebuild trust by demonstrating that leaders cannot cast aside constitutional rights of the law for political expediency. The flag and general officers are far from the only ones complicit in recent illegal activities, as a significant number of SES leaders 
and political appointees contributed. Evidence indicates that other executive agencies are engaging in illegal activity. However, as service members and veterans, we feel particularly responsible for the DOD and in accordance with our oaths. We will make every effort to demonstrate by example how an institution can put its own house in order. We, the undersigned, on behalf of hundreds of thousands of service members and the American people, while appealing to the supreme judge of the world for guidance and purity of intention, mutually pledge to each other that we will do everything in our power through lawful word and action to hold accountable military leaders who failed to follow the law when their leadership and moral courage was most desperately needed. In the coming years, thousands within our network will run for Congress and seek appointments to executive branch offices, while those of us still serving on active duty will continue to put fulfilling, continue to put fulfilling our oaths ahead of striving for rank or position. For those who achieve the lawful authority to do so, we pledge to recall from retirement the military leaders who broke the law and will convene court-martial for the crimes they committed. For those of us who attain legislative office, we pledge to introduce legislation to remove all retirement income for the military leaders who were criminally complicit, and we will ensure none serve in or retire from the senior executive service. This endeavor will be continuous, a continuous process with a long-term time horizon, but fulfilling our oaths to defend the Constitution requires such persistent vigilance. Likewise, we are obligated and so, com- and so commit to train those who, came af- who come after us rather to fulfill their duty in achieving this accountability and safeguarding against such leadership failures hereafter. Then it wraps up and it says, Our nation was once great because it was good. It was built on moral principles founded in natural law, and yet the recent acceleration of moral relativism has us headed toward a precipitous implosion. It says, While all good things come to an end, we refuse to allow our nation to go quietly into the depths of of decadence and decay. We promise to exhaust all moral, ethical, and legal means to restore the rule of law, and will begin by attempting to hold senior military leaders accountable. The Constitution is the supreme law of our land. We will fight to enforce that law and put an end to the two-tier justice system. May future generations see our efforts, and God willing, may they also be recipients of the great gift of liberty that we have had the honor of safeguarding, unquote. It, it's a great pledge. I'm not doubting that for a minute. And like I said, you know, uh, I think time will tell on something like this. You have to start clearly with a pledge or a goal. Um, you know, I'm not sure what else to say. I, I think that this is a difficult beast to slay, to say the least. I think that they've got their hands full, no doubt about it. If they want to run for office like they claim, they'd better make sure to not sign on that APAC dotted line. If they sign on that line, it's game over. You cannot take two oaths. You can't do it. And you, and you, you can't align yourself clearly with the enemy. I think what this letter also does, which is really ironic, because I think even Marjorie Taylor Greene you know, got a hold of this and put it out on her Twitter page. 
it's people like her who, again, were so slow on all of this when it was actually happening. They didn't say bubkis about it. They didn't say a word. So I think what this does is, is it has forced the hands of these politicians to finally say something about it, but let's face it, they're the ones that this military guy and these other 230 people are also talking about. It's the politicians who have to be strung up. It's not just military individuals. And again, you know, in this letter, they say that they feel responsible for the Department of, of Defense. The Department of Defense created the shot. They patented the damn thing. They're involved. You got to hang them too. You can't rebuild these particular institutions when these institutions were designed and have been designed for a very long time to kill us. You have to get rid of the institutions and the people within, and you can't, again, rebuild them in any way. It's like all this talk about the FBI, you know, the, the constant debate of, you know, do we move the, the FBI building to, to Texas or Kansas or Oklahoma? Or do we move it out of D.C. And, and build it some other place? And then Donald Trump gets on truth and he says, don't, don't build them a new building. Fix, fix the problems within and keep it in Washington, D.C., because that's the place that needs to be cleaned up. I have a better idea. How about you level the FBI completely, put everybody inside that building who works for the FBI, and then crush the building on top of everybody's heads, in particular the higher-ups and then their lackeys, who are actually the individuals working behind the scenes engaging in real clandestine operations against our own people. How about we do that instead? But, you know, I don't know. I think, I think a letter like this serves a purpose, no doubt. I think it, it, it gives some hope to people who are hopeless or feel like they don't have anything to, you know, to, to grab a hold of right now. But I think time will tell. I, I don't see them convening any kind of court-martial. Again, if such a thing were to occur, if they were to actually become politicians, you would have to basically own every single seat in the House and Senate in order to accomplish such a thing, along with, of course, any other governing body, so to speak, who would be responsible for trying these people. I don't, I don't see that happening. I just don't. Um, I don't see that happening in Washington, D.C. I don't think that's going to happen at the hands of somebody who's elected. I think that there has to be executive action that takes place from the top to hold these people accountable. The very moment that someone came to a superior officer and said, I now have permanent heart damage as a result of these shots, that superior officer should have defied any order from their superior officer to administer these shots. They should have stopped them immediately. In fact, they should have done the homework beforehand because only a foolish military would walk into a fight without knowing their enemy. Again, it traces all the way back to Sun Tzu. If you don't know who your enemy is, then you've already lost. If you don't know that health does not come at the end of a needle and poison does, if you don't know that, well, you're doomed. There's, there's no way around it. You've already lost the fight. And again, the fight is in between the ears. The fight's always in between the ears. 
As I said in the Substack article regarding AI and education, it's not about throwing a bunch of robots into a classroom. It's not about throwing a bunch of computers in front of people. That's really not it. It's not that action. What they want is, is the result. And what's the result? The result is eliminating your God-given ability to think. That's what they want gone. And of course, we know that's what the military has always done too. You can't have thinking people in the military. They don't want them. They want order followers. And those generals were right where the privates were at one point. And they followed orders as privates, and now they're following orders as higher-ups because they know that if they want to keep climbing that ladder and increasing their pay and getting a larger pension down the line, well, you have to follow orders. So again, since we're talking about convening court-martials, which are hypothetical and again not likely to occur, they could occur, of course, but it would have to be in the military by the unjabbed, by the awake, and by judges who actually know what was going on within our own military. I mean, again, this right here should prove, and I, again, I, I like the declaration, don't get me wrong, because what it shows is, is it shows that the individuals who are still in the military and those who are not, many of them fully understand what's going on. They know, whether they said it in the declaration or not, our military is compromised. And it should be a nice reminder to everyone, and again, if, if you don't know that, or politicians are unaware, or anybody's unaware, that our military is compromised, well, now you know, and you should know. And that's a big problem. If our military is, comp is compromised, we have, no, we have no country, we have no military, we have no protection. Again, as I've said before, this is a national security threat. This is the largest one I think that we've ever faced. This is also, again, one of those moments where you've got to pay attention to the politicians and the grifters out there who are doing whatever they can to, again, use this letter that they didn't write to their own advantage, like Mike Flynn and, again, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, Mike Flynn could have written, could have written this letter. Mike, Mike Flynn could have worked with these individuals, uh, and who knows, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but, you know, he's using it like, yeah, I agree with this 100%, you know, we need to hold these people accountable because of the shots and blah, blah, blah. Well, well, that's great. Yeah, of course. But where was Mike Flynn yelling about the shots the moment they came out? Where was Mike Flynn in 2020 yelling about not taking the shots? Was he out there saying anything about that? Where was, where was Marjorie Taylor Greene on the shots in, back in 2020 and 2021? They were as tight-lipped on that subject as you could possibly imagine. They were all, you know, they were all about the 2020 steal and, and the election, you know, presidential election was stolen. Nobody was talking about our government, Department of Defense, and endless other individuals and entities were creating a biological weapon to be delivered to everybody in our country. But now again, they're, they're reading this declaration and trying to use it for their own political expediency, as it even says in the letter. So, I would like these individuals to call out the politicians and the Mike Flynn's of the world. Call them out. Why is everybody tight-lipped about them? And I, I don't know. It, it really is beyond frustrating, I think, because, again, 
if you believe that you can enter Washington D.C. and work for these for these nitwits, and let's face it, the people in D.C. aren't representing anybody in America. So instead of believing that giant lie, what is it that these guys are actually going? I mean, I well, I'll put it this way: I would have liked them to again say, "We don't pledge allegiance to Israel. We don't pledge allegiance to anybody else. We only pledge allegiance to the American people." Now, he, you know, he kind of said it in the letter that we took an oath to protect and serve. That's fantastic, and again, I agree with him. But you've got to call out these politicians on all sides of the aisle because they're all in the same bucket. And that bucket is just filled to the top with nothing but scum. So call them out too. And if anybody again tries to use the letter for some political expediency or, or uh, you know, to grift off of it in any way, you call those you call those idiots out too. But it's a nice reminder. That's all. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's a nice reminder that there are good people out there who know what is going on. I would just caution them about having these delusions of grandeur regarding a potential uh you know military tribunal that they are going to convene themselves i don't think that's likely to happen in the slightest i would like people to be held accountable i think we all would we would like to see public hangings we would like to see public executions this is what we're clamoring for because we know what laws have been broken but you know time is going to tell on all of this I think you know th this war is only starting, and the longer we go without seeing any accountability, I'm telling you what, you've got one of two options. You're either going to get more mad, or you're going to slip right back into the matrix and become pacified all over again. I'd rather get more angry, frankly, than I would dive back into the matrix. I can't do it again. I won't do it. So, yeah. Maybe this declaration again motivates individuals. That, that would be a, a very nice thing. In fact, I, I might as well say this too, and I think this is important. You've got to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Lee Merritt, frankly, was one of the voices out there who was talking about the military aspect of the shots long before I was hearing anybody else bring it up. I mean, she was out there saying, look, the as she, of course, is ex-military herself, um, you know, she she openly stated on numerous occasions, dating back to 2021, this is a problem for our military. This is a ma major national security threat. You have these individuals taking these jabs, and they're dying, and nobody's talking about it. She was out there screaming about it. But again, it it you know it begs the question: Where were those politicians then? Where were the grifters standing on stage? You know, where was Clay Clark and his? ragtag band of nitwits that goes around the country grifting off of people. Were they talking about the shots in the military, uh, you know, as early as Lee Merritt? Probably not. Probably not. It's a big problem. So, yeah. Time is exposing a lot of things here. It really is interesting, and I, I do think that we have a major responsibility to revisit these events from the past and who was saying what when and not saying, well, you know, let bygones be bygones and let's just put that behind us. I don't think, I don't think we should do that at all. Um, we should never forget what's going on here. You know, I, I saw a meme the other day and it brought back, you know, these memes, I'll tell you what, they bring back a flood of memories from 2020. 
2021 and, and all those years. Again, it feels to me personally like all of that was yesterday. I mean, here we are at the beginning of 2024. Doesn't it feel like it was yesterday? And this particular meme was, oh, hell, now I'm having a hard time remembering it. <laughs> I can remember all those years ago, but I can't remember a meme I saw just the other day. It was, uh, it was something that was like caged in. It was like a park bench or something that had a cage around it, like a chain link fence. And it was one of those chain link fences that was just put over top of a park bench back in 2020 because they didn't want people sitting at park benches. Remember all that nonsense? People tying up, uh, whatever the hell, you know, they, they would put pieces of wood over top of basketball hoops because they didn't want people playing basketball in the park. There are endless examples. You know, they would put caution tape around, res uh, you know, recess playground equipment because they didn't want people playing on the on the swing sets and you know the monkey bars and everything else. They'd tie the swing sets together and then put a padlock around them to keep people from swinging. Remember those, uh, those kids that would skate out in California in those skate parks and then the police would show up or somebody would show up and they'd put sand, they'd dump sand on the skate park so that they couldn't skate because of, you know, COVID. Remember all that? That's the kind of stuff that we have to keep fresh in our minds, I think, going forward here. We can't forget that all of that happened. And they used the useful idiot to carry it out. I mean, you know, you can't say that Bolshevism and Marxism haven't worked. They certainly have. They've brainwashed individuals into believing things that aren't real and then acting on those things that are not real and then enforcing them on their peers and the people around them. But I don't know. Sorry for my little rant here, but God dang, it just drives me up the wall. We, 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 have to, we have to remember this kind of stuff, and we can't forget it. So, bravo on the declaration. You know, I agree with it. Just don't, I'm not going to hold my breath on, uh, you know, them, you know, they themselves, those 230 people con convening some, some military tribunal by themselves. I, I don't see that happening. It's a nice wish, but, you know. Okay. Speaking of hanging people, how about Mike DeWine? Let's get to him one more time. This was from Zero Hedge the other day. Ohio governor who vetoed bill blocking sex changes for children took $40,000 from a pro-trans hospital, or hospitals plural. It says the following here. Ohio's Republican governor, Republican is in quotes of course, Mike DeWine, took over $40,000 from hospitals, which prescribe puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for children before vetoing a bill that would outlaw puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for children. I'm going to read through this, and then I've got some audio from this little turtle, this little turtle man, here in just a minute. But it says the following, DeWine stunned state, uh, state Republicans rather on Friday vetoing House Bill 68, which would also prevent transgender athletes, dudes, from competing in girls' sports. This is from the Federalist Papers. It says, A review of donations from 2018 to 2023 revealed that the governor received a total of $40,300 from the Ohio Children's Hospital Association, OCHA. 
Cincinnati Children's Nationwide Children's Hospital and Pro Medica Children's Hospital. The OCHA donated $10,000 to Mike DeWine and John Houston uh, Transition Fund on December 28th of 2018 and another 10000 on December 7th of 2022, according to the, to the report. It says the transition fund allows candidates to spend donations for transition activities and inaugural celebrations, as outlined in Ohio's Campaign Finance Handbook. Affiliates of OCHA, such as Cincinnati Children's and ProMedica, also made significant contributions. They donated $300, Cincinnati Children's did, uh, $300 on December 15th of 2022, and ProMedica, another affiliate of OCHA, donated ten grand in December of 2018. Nationwide Children's, a third affiliate, donated 5000 in December of 2018, and another five grand in January of 2023 to the transition fund. It says Cincinnati Children's and Nationwide Children's Hospital, for example, offer gender-affirming care including puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and have no staged age limit guidelines for patients. Nick Lashutica, no way I get that right, president of the OCHA slammed House Bill 68 during testimony arguing that it strips away, quote-unquote, the rights of parents and their transgender children. Well, you're disgusting. So here's Mike DeWine himself. Uh, yeah, they said politics at its finest, no doubt. Um, here's DeWine back on December 29th, I believe. This would have been, of course, when he vetoed it. Give him a listen. This is about two minutes long in three, two, one. Ultimately, I believe this is about protecting human life. Many parents have told me that their child would not have survived, would be dead today, if they had not received the treatment they received from one of Ohio's children's hospitals. I've also been told by those who are now grown adults that but for this care, they would have taken their life when they were teenagers. Parents are making decisions about the most precious thing in their life, their child. And none of us, none of us should underestimate the gravity and difficulty of those decisions. These are gut-wrenching decisions. These are gut-wrenching decisions that should be made by parents and should be informed by teams of doctors who are advising them. These are parents who have watched their child suffer, sometimes for years, and who have real concerns that their child may not survive to reach adulthood. While the child's care team informs their decisions, it is the parents who are living with that child who know their child better than anyone else in the world does. Were I to sign House Bill 68, or were House Bill 68 to become law, Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows better what is medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most 
the parents. Therefore, I cannot sign this bill as it is currently written. And just a few minutes ago, I vetoed the bill. Let me do something here real quick. Let, let me provide a little bit of perspective, of course, regarding the hypocrisy and all, on all of this. And, and it, of course, we know already that it goes without saying. But let me mention a few things here. First of all, regarding the law, in a roundabout way, based on, of course, the, the, the current statistics that are widely available to anyone, including Mike DeWine, and let's face it, 40 grand, of course, is a decent amount of money for your political campaign. And, uh, I mean, why wouldn't he veto this? He can at least absolve himself of any fault if the legislature overrides his veto, which they should do immediately, as even Donald Trump has said, and I brought up on the last show. But legally speaking, you can't assist in the, you cannot, I should say, assist in the suicide of anyone in the state of Ohio. It's typically the case in just about every state that doing so is a crime. Um, Given the statistics, of course, we know that endless individuals who engage in genital mutilation or gender transitioning, which you cannot, of course, do, you're just poisoning yourself to death, that when you do that, you're increasing the likelihood of suicide. Why? Because you're eliminating your God-given hormone function within your body, and that hormone function is responsible for your mental well-being. So. That right there is actually leading to the cause of suicide, which is depression. I, I, find, that, I find that alarming. But of course, what does he say? Well, he chalks it up to government overreach. That government doesn't have a say in the well-being of your child. Well, wait a minute. What we're trying to do is, is we're trying to keep mentally ill people from killing mentally ill people. That's what this is here. The exact same thing, of course, at, uh, that, that I think a person has to keep in mind, is that Mike DeWine was COVID numero uno in the state of Ohio. He was the, he was the lottery guy. He was the COVID lottery guy. Get your shots, and then you'll be in the drawing for a million dollars. And we'll do this six times, and you know, get your shots. That was the summer of 2021. Again, I remember it like it was yesterday. Couldn't believe my ears when he actually went through with that. So are we going to string him up too? I sure hope so. But here in the state of Ohio, again, more hypocrisy here. We have what's called Casey's Law. The same thing exists in Kentucky. Casey's Law has to do with involuntary placement of an individual into a drug or alcohol treatment for drugs and alcohol abuse. So you can petition to a court based on individuals within that person's life to come forward and say, you need to take this person out of this environment and place them in court-ordered treatment because they are a harm to themselves and the people around them because of, of course, their mental state and a thousand other things. They do that for drug and alcohol treatment and drug and alcohol use, but not for genital mutilation. Again, it's not a medical procedure. It's mutilation. 
Have you seen the photographs of what it actually looks like on a female body when they do what they do to try to plant a pro, you know, a prosthetic phallic thing on them? It is it is horrific. I have these pictures. I've seen them. They're disgusting. They're they're completely covered in scars, and no one is ever going to convince me or anybody else with a brain that that is somehow making that person whole. These are individuals that need a Casey's Law for mental health. Now, of course, in the state of Florida, for example, they have the Baker Act, which is if you attempt to kill yourself, you're institutionalized. You're taken away from from your environment, regardless of your age, and you're monitored and you're hospitalized and you can be charged with a crime for attempting to take your own life or threatening to even take your own life. You know, these kinds of things are necessary because there has to be an intervention that takes place with not just the person, but the family and the environment. So it's not about government overreach. It's about examining things objectively and then intervening on a person's rather obvious downward slide. I mean, a child one day goes, you know, I can't wait to try out for the basketball team. Uh, You know, the girls' basketball team is going to be a whole lot of fun. Then they come home the next day and they say, I want to cut my breasts off, mom and dad. You know, that's, that's a bit of a problem. Again, what's going on in that environment or certainly within that school environment that would cause that individual to actually believe that that's normal or that that's okay? Which, of course, brings into account the entire education environment. This right here should show people, statewide and nationwide, the state of Ohio, but also the sort of trickle-down effect and the, I I would say, the trickle-down obstacles that exist when you have a governor veto a bill like this, which, of course, he's not even speaking about the business of transgenders and those that are playing pretend with their genitals, playing in other sports that they don't belong in. He doesn't touch that subject. He's focusing in on a very small and specific aspect of this as to why he vetoed it. But we know, we know why. He's compromised. He's completely compromised. They've got him touching a kid somewhere along the way because they're all kid touchers. Let's not kid ourselves on that one. And, uh, you know, that's probably, that's probably just the beginning. Epstein's list and a thousand other things, no doubt about it. But at the exact same time, again, it creates the obstacle from an education standpoint because you you have, I mean, it's a pressure cooker. You have endless individuals who are still attending public schools saying, why are you teaching all this diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff? And then on the top end down, you have the governor doing what he's doing, where basically what he's doing is he's sanctioning diversity, equity, and inclusion, social-emotional learning, and all the gay stuff. He's allowing all that to take place by vetoing a bill like this. He's showing his support for all of that. Because that's always the argument from the school environment. The The school environment argument is, we need the diversity, equity, and inclusion instruction because this saves kids' lives, and it makes them feel whole, and it makes them feel like they're a part of something, you know, by cutting off their genitals. It makes them it makes them more of a person and feel like who they really are. All these people and all these institutions are mental institutions. All of them. There's no way around it. 
walking into a hospital today is as stupid as walking into a state house and asking them to do the right thing. It's as stupid as going into an American K-12 school and expecting the right thing to occur. If government has its fingerprint on it, it's corrupt. If government has its fingerprint on it, it wants you dead. So by vetoing that bill, all he's doing is pouring gasoline on the already existing fire that exists in the bellies and the corrupt, warped, deranged minds of the individuals who think that pretending that you're the opposite sex of what you are is normal and that competing in sports against individuals that are not your biological sex is normal. Now what you're going to hear about and see, without a doubt, are endless individuals in the state of Ohio now attempting to play sports for which they do not belong. This will happen. This will be a thing. It's, of course, existed all across the nation for many years, but it's going to ramp itself up now in the state of Ohio because, again, you're fertilizing the perversion. And now that the governor has fertilized it and fertilized it, you know, right down to the roots, these people are going to be motivated in a way now that they've never been before. They're going to look at their children as deranged parents and say, yes, Billy, you need to go out and play volleyball on the girls team because you are a girl and your name is Betty now and you can do it. But of course, you know, you're not going to see girls attempting to be boys and go out there and play football. You're not going to see that one, but you'll see the other ones. And you'll see it, I think, now in the state of Ohio, just in a way that we've never seen it before. So, you know, you give Satan an inch, he takes a mile. And you give his minions an inch, and, you know, they'll take as much as they can grab, too. The war rages on here with this. There's no doubt about it. And again, a lot of people are tight-lipped about it, and they're not saying a whole lot. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what these school district individuals are saying about it. Of course, I've played some of their comments locally here. They were all for it. At least one of them was, the outgoing board member in this local school district here. I called the governor myself, and I told them that they need to veto this bill because it's discriminating against people who want to mutilate themselves. I mean, you know, you can't fix that. You just can't. And again, where are the university presidents on all of this? What are they saying about all this? Because again, let's face it, the individuals that are mutilating themselves are the ones using university mental health services all of the time. I mean, it's the whack jobs that are in there by and large. The people that are hurting themselves, putting themselves in compromising situations, and a thousand other things, cutting themselves and you know, not knowing how to deal with the trauma, they give those people counseling and, you know, as they should. But when an individual wants to, wants to maim themselves permanently by, you know, by playing pretend, there's no, there's no counseling. It's just, well, off to the doctor and, you know, let's get those stitches out. And oh, you know, your your fake penis isn't working anymore. Well, that's too bad. Let's uh, let's get you another one of those. You know, off to the shelf of fake penises where we just have them on hand. It's my God. I mean, no wonder they don't dish out ivermectin. They're too busy handing out fake, you know, fake genitals to people. <laughs> no wonder. No wonder. All right. 
I'm going to hang that up for this particular episode. Again, we'll see what happens with it. They should veto it quickly. They shouldn't re you know they shouldn't reword anything. Um, and you don't need his signature. Just do what's right for the vast majority. That's all. Be morally sound for once, government. Just give it a try. Okay. Now, morally sound. Ironic, I know, but that leads me into education here. Um, one more commercial that I actually popped up on the old TV during the bowl games. Uh, I found this disturbing as well, but also remarkably telling. And I think that it sort of highlights uh, a lot of what is going on and how they are trying to play damage control as much as they can as a profession. Did you see the one called Touchdown for Teachers? This is funny. So this is the cfp-foundation.org, and it is called Touchdown for Teachers, and at the very top it says Extra Yard for Teachers Summit is Saturday, January 6th. Register today. So let's get to the About section and bounce through this website. Again, touchdown for teachers. You know, teachers are the best part of human society, and we want to give them uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars to spend any way that they want in their classroom. And we give them all t-shirts and have them show up at a football game and applaud our teachers, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget they're the hardest working, blah, blah, blah. They're the most brainwashed goons that exist on the face of the planet outside of the medical industry. and. For anybody at any football game or event to be applauding teachers in this day and age, they should be slapped across the face. Again, they engaged in the largest example of child abuse that's ever occurred in the history of our country, if not the world, under the guise of actual health. This was, uh, let me see. The touchdown for teachers thing took place during the Notre Dame football game. The, uh, the Notre Dame, whatever you want to call it, the bowl game there. Okay, so here it is. The largest sports entity dedicated to supporting educators. The mission. The CFP, College Football Playoff Foundation's primary platform, Extra Yard for Teachers, elevates the teaching profession by inspiring and empowering teachers. I'm sure it does. Here's their vision, because they always got to have a mission, and they always got to have a vision, don't they? I mean, isn't it cliche at this point? We envision a country in which our greatest assets, teachers, are given the resources, recognition, and professional development they require in order to prepare our nation's students for success. Oh my God. Everything about that sentence is a lie. First of all, our greatest assets as a country are not our educators. They're the greatest assets when it comes to brainwashing future generations, no doubt about it. And, of course, mutilating them and confusing them and lying and misleading and a thousand other things, abusing them. But good Lord. It says the College Football Playoff Foundation at CFPE Extra Yard on X, I'm sure, 
is the 501c3 nonprofit organization serving as the community engagement arm of the college football playoff and works in partnership with institutions of higher education, sports organizations, corporations, and nonprofits to support educators and improve United States student outcomes. No, no, you don't. You just cut a check and you give it to these, uh, you know, these brainwashed goons to, um, you know, buy pencils, I guess. It says the purpose of the CFP Foundation lies in supporting pre-K through 12 education across the country. The College Football Playoff Foundation's primary platform, Extra Yard for Teachers, is dedicated to elevating the teaching profession by inspiring and empowering teachers in four core areas. Resources, recognition, professional development, recruitment, and retention. Hmm. Why would that be? Are people leaving the profession? Resources, recognition, professional development, recruitment, and retention. Let me break those down briefly. And they even do in this stupid little uh, this stupid little picture. First of all, with the first one being resources, that clearly has to do with what is it that they have at their disposal. Well, the fact is, is all you need is a brain if you're a school teacher. That's it. If you have a mind, then you can teach your way in and out of any situation. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't need toys. You don't need gimmicks, games, or nonsense. You just need a brain. So you can't cut a check for a better brain. But they think that you can. Uh, what's the next one? Recognition. See, this is one of the businesses, again, that absolutely loves patting themselves on the back. We always have to recognize the best and the brightest educators because they lead to the best and the brightest students. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I know I'm laying it on thick here, but holy hell. Uh, and then professional development. Look. I've proven this in my own research, as, has, as have everybody else within the entire profession. More professional development, quote-unquote, accomplishes nothing. It accomplishes nothing. You heard me bring up this story endless times in this particular example. Staring at student test scores as a schoolteacher has as much impact on them succeeding in the future in your classroom or other classrooms as much as it does impacting how tall they are, which means it has no impact whatsoever. In fact, as I proved with my own dissertation research, specifically regarding conflict resolution and violence prevention, quote-unquote, professional development, it makes it worse. It makes the environment more violent. It doesn't decrease anything. And who does it really piss off? It pisses off the adults in the building who know that all of that professional development is complete garbage. They're fully aware. And then finally, recruitment. And here's what they say about recruitment. We work with universities, high schools, and other nonprofit organizations to attract quality future educators and keep great teachers in the classroom. No. No, they don't. And that's not the goal of the education business. The goal of the education business is to get rid of the truth tellers and have nothing but conformity 
which is communism. You have to get everybody on the same page, doing the same thing at the same time, all of the time. That's the profession in a nutshell. But these NGOs and 501c3 nonprofits, all they're doing is laundering money. Because I've seen some of these checks that the old, uh, you know, whatever the hell, extra yard teachers here and touchdown for teachers. I've seen these checks that they, that they hand these teachers. It's a grand. They give them a check for $1,000. Here you go. Congratulations. You're a great teacher, and this $1,000 will do what exactly? I can't believe that people buy into this, which is, again, why it's such a brainwashing profession. It really is. You need the deaf, the dumb, and the blind to go along with this kind of nonsense. You truly do. Now, unfortunately, as one might expect, I guess, they have a YouTube video. It's about uh, two minutes long. I'm not going to play it. Um, you're welcome to take a look at it on their website if you want. It, there's not a whole lot of audio to play. You just see a lot of images of these individuals who are clearly brainwashed. Again, this organization's been around for not 10 years, but somewhere short of that. And again, they are primarily donating to individuals who exist within urban settings. And again, what are they doing with this money? Where, where, is, it, where is it going? Are you buying t-shirts for people? Are you buying uh, video games for them? I mean, it has imagery here of you know, numerous students with the VR headsets on their faces. Explain to me why that's relevant in a classroom. Explain to me what, what benefit that has. It has none. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. It's a money laundering operation. Another 501c3, you know, giving money to, again, educators so uh, this organization and everybody who affiliates can pat themselves on the back like they're doing something for education. They're not doing anything. They're maintaining the status quo. They're, they're maintaining the brainwashing and, I should say, the even the the imagery rather within the YouTube video has some teachers wearing masks and has some children wearing masks. The very fact that they're not removing all of that imagery should tell people that they're doubling down on it. Again, these were the participants of the largest example of child abuse in the history of this country. I can't be the only one who knows that. I know that you know it. But when you get on these websites and you look at the faces of these, of these terrible, terrible humans who are brainwashed to the bone, these are the faces of the people who are responsible. My God, I'd love to get a hold of a microphone when some of these nitwits are, are getting uh, you know, a check for five grand at a football game and just start calling everybody a child abuser. I'd love to do that. I'll never have that opportunity. But man alive, this is, it's just astounding. So there you go. Touchdown for teachers, ladies and gentlemen. Another charitable organization, I'm sure, that is helping the less fortunate and hoisting up the best that our country has to offer, America's teachers. Please, who are they fooling? Okay. Speaking of teachers and speaking of board meetings even, get a load of this. This was bouncing around the other day, and this is kind of interesting. I'm not a fan of AI, 
and let's face it, it's not really AI, it's a search engine, but uh, which is in this particular case what it what it seems to be. This is called citizenportal.ai. Now I'm gonna link this in the description below, and you can uh, you can bounce around this website. I've done this and it's kind of interesting. So here's what you do. You get on citizenportal.ai and you'll see the search bar there. It says your AI partner for transparent government. Well, that's an oxymoron, but either way, it says see what your politicians are saying about issues important to you. Search by word or phrase. So if you type in COVID, for example, which I'll do right now, all caps, C-O-V-I-D, and then you hit send. What happens next is it'll pop up a map of the United States. And it says that it's sorting your results. And then it says, we have found 452,152 results for COVID, in quotes. Then you click on your state or any state on this red map here. I'll click on Ohio, where it says that there are 17,283 results regarding the word COVID. This has to do with finding speeches and finding committee meetings and board meetings and what, whatever other kind of meeting could possibly exist, uh, county commissioner meetings where they brought up the term COVID in their transcripts. And then what it does is, is it takes you directly to your county and you can see all the counties and then you can click on your county. Now you have to keep in mind, Many of these aren't even available. So, for example, there's 88 counties in the state of Ohio, but based on this program and based on this search, only about 20 counties are highlighted as you being able to click on them regarding the subject of COVID. And then, of course, it'll pop up your results. So, I'll click on Butler County because that's where I live. And then there it is. And then what it shows you is, is it shows you in some chronological order, and you can filter your results, but it shows you particular meetings and township meetings or city council meetings or whatever, board of education meetings where they've brought up the term COVID. And then they list them. And it said something, I believe, on the last website. Let me go backwards. It says there's 168 results in just Butler County. Now, if you hit the other major counties like Franklin, which is where Columbus is, that's th it shows 3,170 results. Cuyahoga County, Cleveland. 7,333 results, and then Hamilton County, Cincinnati, 5,559 results. What's interesting, again, from, from this website, I think, and I really do think it's really the only interesting part, is it allows you to look at these meetings if you want to look at them and dive into them to see what these people are talking about within these meetings, and it has them all basically in one spot. Now, again, how many school board meetings do they include? I have no idea. Because let's face it, the term COVID probably gets brought up in every single school board meeting you could possibly imagine. But right here, for example, they have Hamilton, Ohio City School District Board Meeting back on uh, November 9th. And again, they have the word COVID highlighted because apparently it got brought up during that particular meeting. Um, and they have other board meetings as well. So. It's not that they're going to include every single meeting where the, where the subject of COVID was brought up or whatever other subject you want to bring up, but I just think that, that this website is interesting because it's kind of a one-stop shop 
for you to be able to look at these meetings if you want to. Um, yeah, so I'll leave I'll leave that to you. You know, it's your call, but um, you may want to bounce around it as much as possible. And again, they have your individual county, your individual school, your city, your state, federal, and then a section for other, which is all documents, executive orders, and the Federalist Papers and whatever else. So that's called citizenportal.ai if you are interested. And again, I'll link that in the description below. Okay, speaking of AI, this is also why AI is going to be a problem and is certainly an arrow in the quiver of uh, depopulation and the destruction of the education business, which, again, they've already shot themselves to death, but you know, they like mutilating their own corpse, apparently, so they might as well keep doing it. This is from NTD.com back on December 26th, and it is titled Child Pornography Found in AI Training Material, Stanford Report. Stanford researchers have found child pornography images in material used to train popular AI image generators with the illegal images identified since April. Says the Stanford Internet Observatory discovered over 1,000 fake child sexual abuse images in an open database named A. I'm sorry, L A I O N 5B, Leon 5B, related to the training of London-based Stable Diffusion Artificial Intelligence Image Maker. Stable Diffusion belongs to Stability AI an artificial intelligence nonprofit that offers a text-to-image AI generator and using LAION-5B to train its AI. The child pornography images were created through the database's sampling from social media websites, combining these with images from pornographic websites. Let me cut to the chase here. As AI continues to be introduced within school districts, you had better believe that it will be hijacked, hacked into, and that images like this will be produced using students as the image in a fake picture in sexual compromising positions, so to speak, along with a thousand other employees, and then it will be thrown out on the internet, and then the school district in typical fashion, will claim that they didn't know anything about it and that they think that it's absolutely unfortunate that someone would do such a thing with such a district, uh, you know, a widely used district piece of technology and we're going to find the people responsible and don't worry, the safety of your children is our number one concern and our number one responsibility. They're going to use all those excuses and yet they are the ones who are inviting this in. That's why these people are the dumbest on the face of the planet. They're always inviting in things that they can never control. And then when they try to control it and clean up the mess that they just created, they embarrass themselves in the process, they take no accountability, and they certainly never get rid of it. They're never going to get rid of it if it all goes haywire. And trust me, it'll go haywire. The article actually ends by saying this, AI legislation worldwide. It says the U.S. will launch an AI safety institute to evaluate known and emerging risks of so-called frontier AI models. Secretary of Commerce Gina Rambando, if that's her real name, said in November during the AI safety summit in Britain. 
Do you see what they're doing too here? Bigger government. They're introducing chaos and then they're creating more government to manage the chaos that they create and implement. President Joe Biden, it says, issued an executive order on October 30th to require developers of AI systems that pose risk to U.S. national security, the economy, public health, or safety to share the results of safety tests with the government. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission opened an investigation into OpenAI in July on claims that it has run afoul of customer protection laws. Australia will make search engine use uh, new algorithms, rather, to prevent the sharing of child sexual abuse material created by AI and the production of deep fake versions of the same material. In Britain, leading AI developers agreed in November at the first global AI safety summit in Britain to work with governments to test new frontier models before they are released to help manage the risks of AI. Then why are you even inviting it? It says more than 25 countries present at the summit, including the United States and India, as well as the European Union, well, there you go, signed a Bletchley Declaration, if I'm saying that right, to work together and establish a common approach to oversight. Oh, government's going to have oversight over the thing it created. What could go wrong? Britain's data watchdog said in October, it has issued Snap Inc.'s Snapchat with a preliminary enforcement notice over a possible failure to properly assess the privacy risks of its generative AI chatbot to users, particularly children. Hmm. I wonder why that is. Is AI being used to traffic children? Is AI being used to push pornography on children? Is it being used to compromise individuals? Is this another aspect of why AI is being thrust upon everybody without their consent or their knowledge or any discussion whatsoever? Probably. Yeah, probably. But remember, when something in the education business stops working or they get caught, they never abandon it. They don't abandon it because it's unsafe. They don't abandon it because it's unethical. They don't abandon it because they've come to their senses. They've seen the light now. They've touched the hand of God and they know that the thing that they've been doing this whole time is wrong. They don't do that. They simply double down. They always double down. They're the worst blackjack players in the history of blackjack, metaphorically. They're the worst. They're flat broke. They're in debt. And they keep doubling down. Case in point, here's another story very quickly. This is from WND. Universities rebrand diversity programs as statewide ban goes into effect. You've heard me bring this up since the beginning of these programs and since the beginning of this show. The education business just rebrands the thing that they get criticized for, or the thing that becomes illegal that they used to do all the time. And they hide it. They bury it in all their other programs. They give it different names. They do whatever they have to do to keep it in place because it's perverse, because the people keeping it in place are perverted. 
So it says workarounds are challenging and put colleges at financial risk for noncompliance. This was from the Daily Caller also. It says Texas public universities are scrambling to rebrand their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts after Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a law prohibiting DEI offices. The new Texas law bans DEI departments and initiatives in public universities and prohibits colleges from holding activities that discriminate on the basis of race, gender, and or ethnicity. Well, there you go. That right there defines diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's discriminatory because it's designed to be. Against whom exactly, you might ask? You know, white people. Some colleges in Texas, it says, have shut down their DEI departments while others have renamed their DEI offices and altered their mission statements while retaining the office's staff. What's going to change? Nothing. Nothing will change. Endless examples here. Again, they bring up Florida. They bring up Wisconsin. They bring up uh, the University of Texas at Austin, renamed its Division of Diversity and Community Engagement to the Division of Campus and Community Engagement, according to Inside Higher Ed. The division offers programs such as, quote, inclusive, innovative, and entrepreneurship and women in STEM. See, just just a different name. That's all. They're just changing clothes. It's still the same sick person wearing the clothes. It says some universities in Texas previously required prospective professors to submit diversity statements in which they signaled their commitment to the tenets of DEI. Quote, essentially, Many of our universities requiring those loyalty oaths had a neon sign above their doors saying, if you don't agree with us politically and you won't sign this oath, you need not apply here, Creighton told the DCNF. And then again, it gets into the business of Florida, some of the things Wisconsin has done. Workarounds are challenging, they said, and puts colleges at financial risk for noncompliance. DEI offices should be replaced with success initiatives and help students without regard to group identity. Yes. But they won't go out with a fight because they never do. They're the rabid dog that's been cornered and they're not going to quit. Okay, that leads me to this final story here. And again, this was from the Epoch Times the other day. Uh, let me mention this again, just kind of as a quick summary. I said it at the top of the show here. Um, this right here is one of the angles regarding the jabs that you've really got to keep an eye on, I think, because this particular, you know, I hate the word narrative, but this particular narrative or angle, I should say, is going to be used and normalized time and time again. And there's a list of people that are normalizing this right now. And I don't like these people, but these individuals, again, are on the so-called Freedom Doctor movement and within the Freedom Doctor movement. So word usage is interesting here. Putting a buoy in the water and a marker in the ground on this particular subject, I think, is going to be important going forward. And again, it specifically has to do with individuals telling a story about how the facilities where the juice was placed into the vials, that the facilities were dirty, that the manufacturing factories, so to speak, 
were not sterile, and that that's why the shots have killed, and that that's why the shots are injuring people, because, you know, dust particles or dead insects or something finds its way into the machinery, thereby finding its way into the actual vials. Now, you've got to be a fool to actually think that that's real. But there are three people that come to mind when I think of this particular angle and this particular story that's being rolled out, because three people have brought this up already, and they happen to be Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, and Dr. Ryan Cole. They're running with this story. Me personally, I think it's hogwash. I don't think that any of this is real. It is designed to deflect away from the real depopulation agenda and the people really responsible for this. So here's what this says. This is titled, FDA Identified Problems at Moderna Plant Making Substance for COVID Vaccine, so says this document. Moderna didn't meet required rules regulators found. So they're throwing Moderna under the bus. That's the first thing. They're saying, Moderna, sorry, your shot was the least liked among the people. Uh, Although not really, everybody knows that they're all poison. It's not a competition. Although I think Pfizer has won that competition, don't you? Um, Either way, they're throwing them under the bus and they're using this story as the hook, basically. So it says the U.S. Food and Drug Administration inspectors uncovered problems at a Moderna plant used to manufacture a substance that is part of the company's COVID-19 vaccine, according to a newly released document. That's rather specific, isn't it? A piece of the vaccine was found to not be in compliance and to be poorly manufactured. Okay, based on these inspectors, they say. Moderna failed to meet multiple requirements, it says, including rules aimed at minimizing the potential for contamination, according to the document. FDA inspectors performed inspections at the plant in Norwood, Massachusetts, from September 11th to September 21st, visiting nine times in total. It says that they found that equipment used to manufacture the substance was not cleaned properly before usage. That a mock cleaning done, it says done, for manufacturing did not adequately uh, simulate the actual process, that written alarm procedures were not followed, and that neither the equipment nor the plant were not designed in a way that would make contamination less likely. Inspectors also learned that Moderna used materials beyond their expiration date. There may be more than 2,000 expired items stored in your warehouse in cold storage at time of inspection. A name I can't pronounce, the the FDA's lead investigator. It then says that the Epoch Times obtained a six-page document, an FDA Form 483, through a Freedom of Information Act request after the FDA's media office refused to release it. The FDA, under federal law, has the power to inspect facilities and deliver a report setting forth any item uh, produced, rather, in a facility that seems to, quote, consist in whole or in part of any filthy, putrid, or decomposed substance, or, quote, has been prepared, packed, or held under 
insanitary conditions whereby it may have become contaminated with filth or whereby it may have been rendered injurious to health. And there you go. I'm going to stop it there because it's a lengthy article, but you get the gist of it. That right there is, that's their story they're running with. This is one of the cover-ups that they're going to run with. That it was a manufacturing error. The place was a little dirty. The juice was on a dirty slide that went into an old vial. And the needles that were used to fill up the vials were a little outdated and not cleaned properly. That's why Grandma fell over dead on Christmas Day. That's why little Johnny, who's running around on a soccer field, falls over. Because of, you know, an unclean needle inside of a factory before any juice was put into it. Nonsense. And I'm telling you, keep this in mind. Malone will keep saying that this is the case. Ryan Cole will keep saying that this is the case. Peter McCullough will say that this is the case. Peter McCullough, of course, will also say, as he has, as have the rest. I mean, I'll give them that credit. They've also said that these shots need to be pulled. But this right here again, this is going to be one of the government excuses that's used. So that's the buoy in the water, I think. Uh, It's not going to matter one way or another. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not these shots get pulled this year or next. And wow, the egg that's going to be on everybody's faces who dished out these shots, if it isn't already there, which it should be, pulling these shots and making that national news, as I've said before on the show, that's going to wake up a ton of people. Because the people who took it are going to say, holy hell, I injected myself with a thing that just got yanked off the shelves. And they don't yank things off the shelves because they're good for you. No, no, no. They pull them off because they're killing people. So there you go. Okay, there were two other things I want to say here real quick, both kind of shot related, but also Alex Jones related. And a little Israel just just very quickly. Um, Nick Fuentes was on Stu Peters the other day, uh, well, a month ago approximately. I think it was December 19th, if memory serves. I missed the episode initially, but I went back and watched it. Josiah Richwine sent it my way. Thanks for sending it, by the way. And uh, and it was it was very interesting. They had a nice discussion, I thought, about Alex Jones and why he's still shilling for Israel from time to time and uh, and all of that, which uh, again I think is highly revealing. I also came across this article and this audio from David Knight. And David Knight used to work at InfoWars, and he was cut loose from InfoWars and hosting on InfoWars and being one of their employees. Um, And then, of course, went on to do his own thing and have his own broadcast. But he was kicked off in, uh, I believe it was December of 2020, because he refused to go along with the storyline that Alex Jones had on his show at the time regarding the shots and Donald Trump. Alex Jones was actually pushing the shots on people back then. And the approach that he took and that he told the employees to take was, is that Donald Trump is encouraging people to take it, so we have no reason to fear it. And what he actually said, and I used to have the audio, so my apologies because I don't, I don't have it anymore. I'm sure someone could find it. I've tried to find it uh, recently here, and I, I, I'm having trouble finding it. But It was a clip that David Knight actually played on his show of Alex saying it live on Alex's show. 
And he said, look, he said, the shot that Trump is pushing now is not the bad, is, is not the bad shot. He basically, and this was again in December of 2020. And he said, yes, there's bad stuff in all these shots. There's no doubt about it. But if you just need to take a little bit of aluminum and a little bit of mercury and you have those, you know, in your, in your body that stimulate an immune response, then I mean, what's the harm? No harm, no foul. You know, it, it, it's not that big a deal. You know, that's a huge problem. And that's, again, putting it mildly. That's a, that's a massive problem there. And David Knight didn't believe that story, and he, and he wasn't going to go along with that narrative. In fact, at great length, he talks about it more specifically with, uh, with Dr. Shiva from a few months back on uh, September 15th. So you can even bounce over to Dr. Shiva's YouTube channel and watch that. It's titled, Dr. Shiva Live, Why David Knight Left Alex Jones, A Conversation. And again, you know, David said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to push these shots. And just because, again, Trump was, was uh, you know, banging on the lectern and saying, you got to get your shots, you got to get your shots, he, he wasn't going to go along with it. He, he wasn't going to tell the listeners of the show that, you know, that they need, to, they need to do this and it's not that bad and it's going to keep you healthy and X, Y, Z. So for all of the, again, the good work that Alex Jones has done regarding revealing the shots and, and what's going on, very early on, even he was was claiming that it's not that bad that it isn't that big of a deal and unfortunately that's that's the sticky situation of of the words that we use and the timing in which we use them that uh you know if we follow the mainstream narrative even for a minute and people have individuals listening to that person who are following that narrative for just that one minute that could end up getting people killed so it's it's cer- certainly a dangerous a dangerous thing but I just find it very interesting a lot of these individuals again in particular today uh sort of trying to rewrite their own history as to what stance they took and when they took it and you know I never said this and I never said that I mean it's kind of petty at this point but at the same time again a lot of things are getting exposed here and I think we have a responsibility to continue to pay attention to the people responsible for saying the things that they said when they said them and you know the the impact that it's had on on the masses so yeah so it's certainly easy to forget you know the different stances that people took at different times but because again you know you'd, you'd listen to alex jones today if a person does and you'd say well he he never pushed the shots he, he was never in support of them as it turns out he kind of was he wasn't against people taking them back in 2020 and late 2020, and he wanted his employees to go along with it and go along with this narrative that, you know, Trump's got control of the shot. So if he says take them, then it must be a good thing. This is what happens when people don't do their own research and when people don't think for themselves and they just blindly follow whoever. So, yeah. Again, you don't have to believe me on anything that I say. I encourage you always think for yourselves clearly and do your own research all the time, do your own reading and put this show down and, you know, don't listen to it. And then if you want to come back to it, great. But I don't know. Again, hanging your hat on, on the words or, or the whim of one is, is a huge mistake. So with that said, uh, just very quickly, just because this broke right here, the Harvard president has resigned. Claudine Gay resigns as president of Harvard after nearly 50 allegations of plagiarism 
rambling race baiting resignation letter included. Well, this is interesting. Let's read this, shall we? Resignation letters are always hilarious, I find. And again, let's look at this subjectively. She was the victim of Bolshevism. Yes, she was the victim of her own stupidity. There's no doubt about it. She's a left-wing whack job. But as we know, the Bolshevik doesn't care. They will shoot their own all of the time in order to advance whatever Bolshevik agenda they have, and we know what that is, which is, you'd better bend the knee to the Jew, because if you don't, well, you're going to get the axe. And that's exactly what happened here. They don't get much harder left than this individual. The only thing they haven't done is make sure that the president of Harvard is Jewish, gay, and a thousand other checkboxes. Again, if they were Jewish, they wouldn't have gone after this person. But they're black. So they went, well, let's go after them. So here's what, uh, here's what Miss Gay said from the Harvard office of the president. Dear members of the Harvard communities, with a heavy heart but a deep love for Harvard that I write to share that I will be stepping down as president. This is not a decision I came to easily. Indeed, it has been difficult beyond words because I have looked forward to working with so many of you to advance the commitment to academic excellence that has propelled this great university across centuries. But after consultation with members of the corporation, which they are, it has become clear that it is in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than any individual. I believe in the people of Harvard because I see in you the possibility and the promise of a better future. These last weeks have helped me clear have helped make clear, rather, the work we need to do to build that future, to combat bias and hate in all its forms, to create a learning environment in which we respect each other's dignity and treat one another with compassion, and to affirm our enduring commitment to open inquiry and free expression in the pursuit of truth. I believe that we have within us all that we need to heal from this period of tension and division to emerge stronger. I had hoped that with all my heart to lead us on that journey in partnership with all of you, as I now return to the faculty and to the scholarship and teaching that are the lifeblood of what I do, I pledge to continue working alongside you to build the community as we all deserve. When, it, when I became president, she wrote, I considered myself particularly blessed by the Opportunity to serve people from around the world who saw in my presidency a vision of Harvard that affirmed their sense of belonging. Checking all those boxes. Uh, their sense at Harvard welcomes people of talent and promise from every background imaginable to learn from and grow with one another. To all of you, please know that those doors remain open and Harvard will be stronger and better because they do. It is a singular honor to be a member of this university, which has been my home and my inspiration for most of my professional career, my deep sense of the connection to Harvard and its people has made it all more painful to witness the tensions and divisions that have risen from our community in recent months, weakening the bonds of trust and reciprocity that should be our sources of strength and support in times of crisis. Amidst all of this, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. It wraps up and says, as we welcome a new year and a new semester, I hope that we can look forward to brighter days, 
Sad as I am to be sending this message, my hopes for Harvard remain undimmed. When my brief presidency is remembered, I hope it will be seen as a moment of reawakening to the importance of striving to find our common humanity and not of allowing rancor and vituperation to undermine the vital process of education. I trust we will find all ways in this time of intense challenge and controversy to recommit ourselves to the excellence and openness and the independence that are crucial to what our university stands for and to our capacity to serve the world. Sincerely, Claudine Gay, unquote. Bolshevism strikes again, ladies and gentlemen. Congress got exactly what it wanted. Pull a bunch of university presidents into Congress, ask them about Israel, ask them about Jews, and if they don't say that they bend the knee, to the Jewish lobby, well, we're going to come after them with everything we have, including the video buses that go around campus, outing them along with anybody else from the Middle East, uh, going after allegations of plagiarism, which may have occurred, and God knows what else. But that's Bolshevism in a nutshell. They don't care who's at the end of a gun, just as long as somebody is at the end of their gun. That's the thing to keep in mind. Okay. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, happy birthday to my dad, by the way, 76 years old on the 3rd. Happy birthday, dad. And ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.